All right, so half of my notes are taped down to this uh, podium here, and if you hear rustling and crinkling, maybe my other half of notes uh, trying to fly away. So I'll be looking down and uh, periodically trying to keep that from happening. Um, but I'm really grateful to be here this morning, to have an opportunity to share with you some of the things that I shared with uh, the church at the prayer meeting this last Wednesday, and I hope um, it will be a blessing. So um, there are many instances in the Bible in which language is used that's kind of confusing, right? That there isn't any immediately obvious interpretation. And if you've read the Bible and gone to studies for any length of time, um, you've undoubtedly come over scriptures that have this kind of character. You know, you know the ones that I mean, the ones you read, and then afterwards you say to yourself in your head, now what does that mean, right? Um, and I want to give just a couple examples of these types of scriptures. You don't have to flip in your Bible to them, but uh, I'll read them for you. Uh, in John 6 and verse 51, it reads, Jesus is speaking, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And um, the phrase that I find particularly confusing is when Jesus says, I am the bread, right? And I want you for a moment, just think about if you heard that in everyday language. If I introduced myself to you and said, my name's Jonathan Larson, nice to meet you. I'm a loaf of bread. You would think I was crazy, right? You probably wouldn't want to be my friend. You'd probably say, oh, that's nice. I'll, I'll talk to you later, right? I mean, like, um, let, let, let's talk about another one. John 1, 29. Here, John the Baptist describes Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. And of course, um, the confusing part, at least for me, is saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? Again, in modern-day interactions, if you'd hear somebody say that, like, hello, I'm Jonathan, nice to meet you, I'm a barnyard animal, right? That would be weird, right? Third example, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so this is another one that is confusing on the face of it, right? Jesus is saying, if you interpret it literally, like, I am electromagnetic radiation. That's weird, right? People don't talk like this. But when you read the scripture, right, these kind of metaphors are all too common. They're everywhere. And if I'm honest, at least for me, Frequently when I come across these kinds of hard-to-understand metaphors, I all too easily just move on to the next thing, right? And maybe you do too. Why do we do that? Um, I suppose it's probably because it's the easiest thing to do. And in life, usually the easiest route is the route that we like to choose. But I want to suggest that a lot of these phrases in the scriptures, which seem very confusing uh, on the surface, actually have some of the most meaningful and impactful spiritual challenges and nourishments 
encoded within them. Okay? And I think that maybe the next slide we can pull up is that the process of decoding these kind of scriptures and the unveiling of the ultimate meaning of these kind of scriptures and the applying of these scriptures in our life can re reap an absolute harvest of benefits to us. And because of this, it's my intention and hope that for today's study, that we'll step through at least the first two of those points, okay, in a specific scripture that I personally have found very confusing over the years, if I'm honest, okay? And the phrase that we're going to spend our time on this morning is the phrase, the Lord is my rock. So this is a phrase or a variant of the phrase appears over 24 times in the book of Psalms. And it motivates the title of today's sermon, which is, the Lord, my rock? Right? There should be a little bit of confusion, you know, um, to that statement, unless you've done extensive Bible study already. So I'm going to read a few of these instances uh, in the book of Psalm where they actually appear. So you can turn in your Bible with me to a couple places in Psalm. We'll go uh, chronologically from left to right. Uh, I guess chronologically is the wrong word, but from uh, least uh, value of uh, uh, number to highest. So let's start in Psalm 18, verse 2. Psalm 18, verse 2. Psalm 18, verse 2 says that um, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. But there's that phrase, right? The Lord is my rock. What does that mean? Let's look at another example. Psalm 42 and verse 9. Psalm 42 and verse 9. There we read, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And though here's another instance, slightly different, but same in character, God, my rock. Two more, Psalm chapter 62, verse 6. Psalm 62, verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. So the phrase there, he only is my rock. Last one. Psalm 144 and verse 1. Psalm 144 and verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And there's the phrase again, the Lord, my rock. So I hope that I've thoroughly convinced you, um, if you hadn't been convinced already, that it is common, fairly common in the scriptures, 
um, for the Lord to be likened to a rock. The Lord is likened to a rock. What does this mean? And in the past, this is where things uh, have got very confusing for me because when I think of God, I think of his all-powerfulness or his immense unfailing love or um, his perfect plan that he has for my life. Um, I don't typically see in my mind this. Uh, that should be on the slide. That's not what I typically envision, right, when I think of God. So how does one sit down and think to themselves, I want to write a song, a psalm, that declares the majesty and the glory of the Lord. And so I'm going to write beautiful lyrics that describe him as a rock, right? Well, apparently David, because David is the one who wrote these, right? He's the one who wrote all these scriptures that we just went through. And it turns out that with a little knowledge of the author's backstory, as well as diving into what the Hebrew word for rock here actually means, we can extract out deep and meaningful information from this very short phrase. First, let's turn our attention to the Hebrew meaning for the word rock. In these passages here, it does not mean the pictures that I displayed on the screen. Rather, and very interestingly, it has multiple meanings. So the pictures that I displayed on the screen is kind of like a small stone. And the Hebrew word for that is what's used in 1 Samuel when it says that David scooped out of the river some smooth stones to sling at Goliath. So that's a separate word. Now there's another class of rock that you find in the scripture, which is the word for mountain. And that's like, you, you know, your Mount Everest type things, right? Your, your, the Andes mountain chain, right? And that's also not the word rock that's used here 24 times in Psalm when it says the Lord is my rock. It turns out it's a multifaceted definition for the word rock of rock structures of the size that are somewhere in between. And this is actually very important. And so if you pull up the next slide with the definitions of possible definitions for the rock, the rock that we read here can be interpreted as cliff or cliffs, a rock wall, a flat rock structure, or boulders. And so um, it's hard to maybe picture some of these things. And so I've uh, included a few example pictures of what some of these may look like. Um, and so the first one would be a picture of a cliff. Okay, maybe something like this. Uh, the next slide is another picture of a cliff, maybe something like this. You know, a cliff where there's like this drop, you know, there's a drop off. Um, the next one would be uh, a flat rock structure, something in which uh, the, the rock is formed in such a way where it's very, very flat, you know, on the top. Uh, the next example could be boulder, as I mentioned. And so these would be large boulders. Maybe there's a few that are nestled together, making some type of an arrangement. Or maybe, as the next slide shows, a single large boulder, okay? So these are all... Uh, potential uh, kind of visual cues uh, that would exemplify perhaps 
some of the various kinds of rocks that David is referring to when he likens God to a rock. So let's try to unpack this. When we take the multifaceted literal definition of that Hebrew word and the corresponding pictures that I just displayed, we can add one more ingredient. And that other ingredient is David's backstory. And, And we don't really have time to go extensively into David's backstory. But suffice to say, David had spent many years of his life either living near rock structures like this, hiding in rock structures like this, or fighting around rock structures like this. Okay? And so with all these kind of ingredients together, in my mind's eye, I can begin to develop a, a very, very different picture of what God may be trying to communicate to us about himself and about us. And it turns out to be, at least in my estimation, a very rich and deep metaphor that not only will reveal traits about God himself, but about roles and responsibilities for believers during various times in their life. So in the remaining time that we have left, I would like to illustrate this by sharing five literal ways that these kinds of rocks that we've just discussed could be beneficially utilized during that time, during the biblical times, and attempt to draw out spiritual connections on the traits of God and the responsibilities of man. And as we begin to plow through these, keep in the back of your mind the verse, the Lord is my rock. I'm going to start with a scenario, the first scenario. Let's say you're in biblical times and you're trying to get from A to B, okay? And um, you become disoriented somehow. You you lose kind of where you are. What you need to do is find out where you are. And in those instances, you may, as the next slide will show, from a distance off from the rock, find your bearings. You may find your bearings. But how do you do this, literally? How would you literally do this? It takes at least two steps. First, you've got to look. You've got to scan the horizon, right? And you've got to find the rock. And then when you find the rock, that's not good enough. You still don't know your bearings. And let me illustrate this. I'm sure maybe many get this already, right? But if the rock is here, right, and you're looking, let's, let's say you're over here and you look and you see the rock, you don't know where you are, right? You could be 360 degrees around from the rock. You still don't know where you are. So there needs to be something else. So literally, you find your bearings by looking to the rock, but then after that, recalling key and unchanging truths about the rock. Maybe, maybe the, the, the long slope of the rock is westward facing, and maybe the, the sharp cliff is southward facing. And if you can remember these key truths about the rock, 
in combination with finding the rock, you will be able to determine your bearings. Does that make sense? And hopefully the, the, the spiritual connection is a little more clear. When you are spiritually, mentally, emotionally disoriented, the solution to that is to look to the Lord. But that's not good enough. You must look to the Lord and then recall key truths about him. You need both. And when you do that, you will find your bearings. But there's something else that we can draw out from this literal example. Here's the question. What about the rock itself makes it possible to find your bearings in the first place? What is unique, literally, about a rock structure like this that would allow someone in biblical times to do this? It's the following. The rock's character, its shape, its geometry, and its physical position are constant. If, if that biblical person was walking around and there was, you know, rocks could move. He, they couldn't find their bearing, right? Or if the geometry, if the character of the rock were to change, he also couldn't find their bearings, right? Because you need both of those. And this is an insight into the Lord. His character is never changing. And he can always be found at the same location. Always ready and waiting. Let's think of another scenario. Let's say that um, <clears throat> you're trying to get from A to B um, in biblical times, and uh, you realize that um, you, lack, uh, you lack the vision that you need. You can see off into the horizon, but you actually need to see further than that. And there's things that are obstructing your vision. And so you feel perhaps um, you can't truly see everything that needs to be seen. And so one potential way around that would be to scale a tall rock. And this brings us to our second point. From the rock apex, you have a better vantage point and perspective. From the rock apex, you have a better vantage point and perspective, don't you? And how is this accomplished? How is this accomplished? Well, first, obviously, you see the rock, like you did in the first scenario. But now the next thing that you have to do is you have to approach the rock. You have to draw near to the rock. But then when you draw near to the rock, that's still not enough. If you want to get to the apex, you have to somehow scale the rock. And if any of you have ever tried to do some serious hiking on rocks that have a significant slope, or maybe even rock climbing, where you're actually climbing some type of rock face, this is a rhetorical question. I'll ask it anyways. What's harder, rock, walking the base of a rock or climbing the rock? Climbing the rock is harder, much harder. And I think there's some significant spiritual connection here. You know, when I need vision personally in my life, 
I often want to draw near to the Lord. And, and you know, we do that. But have you ever felt like you were doing everything right, but you still lacked vision? You were praying, you were coming to church, you were doing everything that you were supposed to do, yet for some reason you still lacked vision. And even worse than that, maybe you felt burdened. Maybe you felt fatigued. Maybe you felt spiritually oppressed. And you think to yourself, what is going on? Why is this happening? I've drawn near to the Lord. The connection here is that when someone is scaling the side of a rock and they're getting closer and closer to the apex, the closer they get to the apex, the more fatigued they'll feel. And oftentimes in our spiritual life, we may be just at the point where the Lord is about to do the breakthrough or to reveal the next thing or give his next provision or give his next word of wisdom. And we need to persevere. So the encouragement is draw near to the Lord. And after you've drawn near to the Lord, we must persevere there, even when it's hard and even when we can't see the end of the line. Just as the rock climber can't see the perfect apex, keep going and persevere. And just like the previous example, we can learn something about God too. Right? The Lord is my rock. What about the rock makes it possible that you can have a better vantage point and perspective? This may see, uh, seem obvious, right? But literally, the rock apex is above all of its surroundings. And the spiritual reminder for us there is that the Lord is above all our surroundings. He's above our circumstances. He's above our resources. He's above our sick sicknesses, our ailments, our hardships. He's above it all. Let's discuss a third scenario. Let's say we have someone in biblical times again um, who's trying to get from A to B. Um, and along their journey, they face unexpected inclement weather. Unexpected inclement weather. And because they don't have their Brooks Brothers umbrella with them, um, they need to somehow find shelter. Oftentimes, people in these kinds of situations would look for the nearest rock outcropping to find shelter. And this brings the third point. From under the rock's canopy, you have protection from harsh elements. From under the rock's canopy, we can find protection from the harsh elements. And how is this accomplished? Literally, how would that be accomplished? A person must first draw near to the rock, just like they did previously. But the next thing that they must do, which is unique from the last example, is that they must shelter themselves under the canopy. 
And then the third thing that they must do is nothing. They need to wait. And this one is, is I, I think, is, is quite deep, right? Um, the first point is the same, right? You, you draw near to the Lord. You draw near to the rock. But what does the, the whole part about sheltering under the canopy mean? Literally, what that is, because the rock is immovable, is a repositioning of yourself such that the Lord is in between you and adverse elements. I'm going to say that again. Sheltering under the rock is nothing more than the individual physically repositioning themselves in such a way so that the rock is in between them and the thing that they're concerned about or afraid about or in trouble because. And the last thing is to do nothing and to wait. And I don't know about you, but when I experience, you know, and to make this clear, you know, the, the unexpected inclement weather is analogous to unexpected hardship, right? When, when, when the walker in biblical times is trying to go from A to B, right, like um, inclement weather that comes in quick is something that is unexpected and can be dangerous. And in my life, when I experience unexpected trauma or unexpected unmet expectations or unexpected negative things, oftentimes my default is to try to fix it myself. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I can do that. You know, to trying to figure out, figure it out. How can we do it? And I'm not saying that doing your best um, is wrong or the you know, but the point is, is that the real resolution to these kinds of major life issues will arise by us humbly repositioning ourselves in such a way that the Lord is taking the brunt of the onslaught and us humbly waiting. The Lord is my rock. And we can draw, just like before, spiritual implication about the traits of God as well by asking this question, what about the rock makes this possible? that someone can find shelter from a storm, literally. And the answer, again, maybe sounds simple, but it has important spiritual implications. The rock itself is impermeable to the elements, right? The rock doesn't care about any rain or intense sun or a hailstorm. It's, it's hard. It's strong, right? And this speaks to something of the trustworthiness of the Lord, you know? that maybe I, I can stop thinking about this so much or striving so much about this. Maybe I can rest under the shelter of his canopy, which is, which is far able and strong enough to withstand those things on my behalf. Let's talk about a fourth scenario. Two more, fourth and fifth. Let's check the time. Okay, doing okay. <clears throat> Let's picture again someone in biblical times 
and there are, this time not walking from A to B, but rather they are acutely concerned about an imminent pending threat from an enemy. So not like your on-again, off-again best friend who's kind of annoying, but like, uh, but like your life, your well-being is, is at risk. Like a proper enemy. And they are, rightfully so, significantly concerned about, um, about this. What may they do? One thing that they may do is to, as this next point says, go to the rock because from the high ground of the rock, they will find a defensive fighting advantage. From the high ground of the rock, they will find a defensive fighting advantage. And how is this accomplished? Literally, because again, as before, we can draw spiritual implication. A person first must position themselves on the high ground of the rock. Next, they must arm themselves. And lastly, they must keep watch. And this is very important, and I want you to visualize this. You know, as, um, as you are this person, right? And you're trying to get a defensive fighting advantage. And the defensive fighting advantage that you're trying to get to is, is maybe it's actually spiritual warfare, right? Maybe it's full-on, full-bore spiritual warfare against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, or maybe it's a temptation that you very frequently face, right? And we all have those, right? We all know those in our life but you have an acute enemy that is pursuing you. If you're there near the rock, the first thing that you need to do is to go to the rock and take, take a position in the high ground. But that's not good enough because you can still fall. The second thing that you have to do is you have to arm yourself, right? You have to be able to actually swing a sword back when the enemy eventually comes. You can't just grin at them and hope they'll collapse, right? And so there's, you know, scriptures in the New Testament that talk about how the word of God is the sword, right? But that's still not good enough. It's still not good enough for you to take up a better defense against the enemy. How so? Let me give you a scenario where you're close to the Lord, you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you know your Bible verses and you've armed yourself, but then you don't keep watch. Imagine that person who is trying to devise this wonderful mechanism of defense and they decided to fall asleep. Well, then all those other advantages that they set up are meaningless, right? You can still be susceptible to defeat. It's the combination of going to the high place and re responsibly arming yourself, spiritually speaking, and then in conjunction with that, keeping watch. 
This is why in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober of spirit, be on the alert, or be on the watch. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so the connection here is that, I mean, I, I'm 37, right? So I've lived long enough to know that I have my own spiritual weaknesses. And I know that likely in a group of this size, most of you here also know what your spiritual weaknesses are. And so when you're trying to take up a defensive position, let's say the defensive position, the slope, right? The slope that is easiest to get up. The enemy would, would most likely come up this way. Don't turn your back to it. Don't fall asleep on the other side of the hill. Have your sword out and constantly, constantly be glancing back at that slope because you know that is the most likely trajectory that the enemy is going to pursue you. Does that make sense? What about the rock's structure in this scenario makes it possible? The rock's structure is such that the enemy must overcome an arduous upward slope to reach their target. You know, and this is, this, this is, this is, this kind of uh, example has made it into regular English language, right? You've heard someone say, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's an upward battle, right? This is common language, right? And it's because, you know, if you're swinging your sword here and someone's coming up the slope, they're swinging at your feet and you're swinging at their head, right? I mean, And so the trait that we can learn about the Lord is that when we come close to the Lord and we position ourselves in the high ground, just in and of itself that act, there is a, um, there is a protectional nature to the Lord by just being close to him. And it's not going to make you Superman or Superwoman spiritually, right? We need to do our own part. But it's comforting to realize that just being with the Lord comes along with it some protectional aspects, right? It's harder for the enemy to reach you. Let's think of a final uh, scenario. In this scenario, you have someone in biblical times and they're greatly desiring to build a structure that will last the test of time. You have somebody in biblical times and they're greatly desiring to build a structure that will last the test of time. Someone in this scenario would likely look for a rock structure that already has a very, very flat top that could serve as a foundation. So the next point here is that from atop the rock, you can build on an ideal foundation. From atop the rock, you can build on an ideal foundation. And so if we're honest with each other, right, like, we build a lot of things in this life. We build careers. We build educations. We build friendships. We build romantic relationships. 
We build collections of sports cars, right? We build all kinds of things. We build endurance. We build um, muscle, okay? We build a repertoire of songs. But everything that we build in this life apart from the Lord has a significant risk of failure. not saying you shouldn't do it. Like, obviously, we should do all those things. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we build things in this life, there is significant risk of failure. You can start a business and it may fail, right? You may be the best friend to somebody and they may stab you in the back, right? You may be trying to stay fit like I was, playing basketball a couple years ago and rupture your ACL, right? So your attempts to build things, even if they're good things, have a significant risk of failure. And I want to point out that at least the relational components, right? Like, if I am trying to have a relationship with Joe Smo, okay? There's two people in that relationship that can fail. I can fail the relationship, or Joe can fail the relationship, right? The Lord is the only entity in the universe in which you can establish a relationship with, and at least from their side, they will never fail you. That's pretty amazing, right? They'll never fail you. Just like a beautiful flat rock structure who's strong and perfectly zeroed with gravity, right? You can build straight up on it, and the storms may come, and the winds may come, but that foundation won't be rocked. So just like building anything, this would be physically accomplished back then by an investment of effort and time and resources, and the spiritual connection for us here is to make sure that we are pouring adequate investment and time from our lives into our relationship with the Lord. Some people may spend time, but it's not quality time, right? Maybe it's listening to a sermon, but you're really like doing work emails or Instagram. That's not quality time. You need to invest both quantity and quality. And only then can you be assured that you are properly and healthily growing that relationship or that structure with the Lord that will be able to stand the test of time. And you can always count on the foundation. Last little tidbit about the Lord that we can take from this example. What about the rock in this scenario um, makes this possible? Well, it's because that in this scenario, the rock's unique character, or in this case, its flat top geometry, and the material properties of its strength provide a building platform unparalleled in quality. 
And so again, like I alluded to before, the connection point here with the Lord is the idyllic opportunity we have. It's an opportunity, right, to build with the Lord. The Lord doesn't force that upon you, right? It's a free will choice of you and me. Are we going to spend both quantity and quality? I'm going to call the worship team back here um, as um, we get ready to move into this last point. And as they do, I'm going to just splash up on the screen um, all five of these points that we can kind of reflect on one more time. Because I think that um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of stuff here, and I hope that, um, hope that you can find yourself in at least one of these kind of visual pictures. Ask yourself this morning, do you find yourself maybe in a position where you're disoriented, far away from the Lord and needing your bearings? If that's the case, draw to him and recall his key truths. Perhaps you're feeling lost about your future and you're longing, you're yearning for vision. You need a better perspective on life. Go to the Lord. Draw near to him. And do the work that's needed which is sometimes very hard to get to that apex. Maybe you're facing grossly unexpected and challenging life circumstances, unexplained, unwanted, unneeded. If that's the case, shelter under the canopy Or perhaps you know that you're under spiritual attack. If that's the case, scale the rock, set up a defensive position, arm yourself, and keep watch. Perhaps you'd say this morning, you're significantly lacking quality and quantity with the Lord. And hearing about his perfect character and his immeasurable strength as an idyllic opportunity for a strong relationship is spurning you to maybe say, you know what, I need to recommit. And you need to build on that ideal foundation. Before we close in prayer, I want to draw one more point that is incredibly important. This phrase, the Lord is my rock. It's personal. The word that's used there by David is my rock. He doesn't say a rock. And so that means that all these scenarios and all these pictures that we've seen together, they're not stagnant. 
the Lord can be a rock for me that looks slightly different from the rock for you. The Lord is my rock. How can he do that? Well, he's God. That's kind of his M.O. So not only may we find peace and challenge and encouragement that the Lord is our rock, but that he has strategically tailored himself to you and to me. Amen? Before we um, have this last song, if you find yourself in a situation where you say, you know, I would like to experience a relationship like you're describing, right? I want to have access to the rock. This is a special relationship that people achieve by by a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We have access to these various things of the Lord through his blood and his sacrifice. And so if you're online or in here in person and um, you'd say, you know what? I've never thought of the Lord like that before. I never knew that he could personally tailor all these kinds of things just for me and be so useful in so many ways and in so many circumstances of my life and I need and I want and I long for a relationship like that. I long for that kind of access. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer in which you dedicate your life to him. And so I'm going to close this in prayer and with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, you just pray, Lord, if that's you saying to yourself, you know, I need that kind of relationship. I know I need it. Say with me, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the times that I've fallen short. I am in desperate need of your loving kindness and forgiveness and all those benefits that come with those who have a relationship with the rock of ages. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my heart? And would you change me for the better? And maybe even though you have a personal relationship already, you'd say, you know what? I definitely fit into one of those categories. I feel like I'm disoriented or I feel like I need vision or I feel like I need aid in fighting the enemy or I need to rededicate my life and start investing quality and quantity. Whatever the case may be, you need shelter from circumstances. We come to you collectively, Lord, and say, be those things to us. And thank you that it's unique. It's uniquely tailored to each of us individually. And you know what? If that's one of you, would you just stand up? I'm not even going to look. I'm closing my eyes. My head is bowed. I, I don't need to know. But maybe you need to do that between you and the Lord. Say, you know what? I need to do some actions. I need to take advantage of some of these miraculously wonderful options that the Lord provides me and you. Would you bless those who are standing?
and meet their need and give them endurance and strength. And now would everybody stand as we begin singing uh, these worship songs. And we thank you, Lord, and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.